Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. It's Tuesday at 2 Eastern Time in the United States, and here we are with the Nonprofit Exchange. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of CenterVision Leadership Foundation. It's the host of the Nonprofit Exchange. And each week, I interview some fascinating people. And today is no exception. William Attaway, he's actually in the same state I'm in. And we've never met before, but hes we've been connected for years. So here we are. Uh, William Attaway, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. Tell people a few things about your background and why are you so passionate about leadership? You thanks so much for having me. Uh, a little about my background. I've I've worked in the business world. I have served as a local church pastor for the last 26 years. And I have a background that focuses around specifically educationally around biblical backgrounds and archaeology, something not a lot of people know. You heard the secret right here, right here. And so why is leadership important to you? Now, I went to my first leadership conference when I was 15 years old. I had a high school teacher who saw something in me that I did not see in myself, and he invited me to attend this conference. I got on a plane, and I flew, and I, I went, and I experienced something that has still got a hold of me, and that's the power of great leadership, uh, both for good and for bad. I've never lost sight of that, and for now, pushing 40 years, I have been a student of leadership learning as much as I can from as many people as I can, as often as I can. I believe when a leader gets better, it affects everybody. It affects every person that they lead. It affects every client or customer that they serve. It affects their family. It affects their kids. All when a leader gets better. So you do a lot of things and you've got a business hat on, which is really important for leading a church. Because it's it's this, the business part of church, it's the nuts and bolts. So how do you make this thing work financially so that you can do the real work that you, that you're called to do? Um, so why, why does a pastor need leadership? <laughs> because a pastor is a leader. <laughs> I think John Maxwell is spot on when he says that leadership, simply put, is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, most pastors I know have influence with those that they lead and those in their community. Will they? intentionally use that influence in a way that pushes people in the right direction, that encourages them, that challenges them to grow and to learn, to grow in their relationship with their Heavenly Father, to grow in their love for one another. That's the question. And growing better as a leader will help them to accomplish those things. People really do what you tell them to do. But if you have, if you influence people, they're more interested, right? It's so true. So true. And I, I share with you that I spent 40 years as a, as a church musician, as a conductor and hired major orchestras. But, you know, it's about influence. You can't make anybody do anything. But if you influence them, they can raise the bar on their own performance. And so we talked a little bit about personal growth. Um, Jim Rohn, the speaker, used to say, mm -hmm. work on yourself harder than you work on your business, which could be your That's nonprofit, right. church, your community, whatever. So um, how about a personal leadership growth plan? Is, is that important? If you don't have a plan, how do you know when you get where you want to go? 
you know, the old adage, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail, I think holds true. When I talk with leaders and talk with, with leaders that I coach in particular, we talk about a leadership growth plan and how intentional it is to choose where you want to grow, how you want to grow. That requires a level of intentionality most people never put into it. When you choose and say, hey, you know, what? I really want to grow in this facet of leadership, in communication, or, or I really want to grow in, in having difficult conversations that are so crucial to leadership. Those are specific targeted focus areas. Now, what's your plan to get there? Are you going to you going to read certain books that are that are that are key in those fields? Are you going to have conversations with leaders who are farther down the road than you are, where you can pick their brain and ask them questions to learn from them and maybe have a shortcut to where you want to go and not have to hit every ditch yourself? These are these are components of a growth plan. They're not the only components but they're intentional and they're not just going to happen. Nobody wakes up one day and says, oh, wow, I'm a fully mature, developed leader. I have all these skills. I didn't mean for that to happen, but here I am. It's never happened that way. And it never will. Never will. That just shoots hole in the, in the premise that I'm a born leader. No, you're a born boss. You're boss. <laughs> That's a big difference there. Yeah. So, um, there's, there's, um, we're in the pulpit, we're in the, on the podium, we're in the boardroom, we're the leader, we're the influencer. Now, I work with leaders, like you're, you serve as personal coach or leadership coach, strategist, a number of things, help people as an outside uh, confidential advisor, I guess you would say, right? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Because we can't see our blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. That's right. <laughs> It's, it's hard to see the whole picture when you're in the frame. Yeah. So I I personally suggest that everybody have a personal coach. Um, you look at any person that's very successful in business, athlete, movie, celebrity, they have coaches. Right. It's the people that are wannabes that say, I'm going to figure it out myself. Well, <laughs> why not have an advisor to help you find those blind spots? So I've had I've had a leadership coach and a business coach, and I practice what I preach. So I, I think it's really important when people say to me, oh, I've read leadership books. I don't need that. I need something important. That's the soft skill. How do you respond to that? You know, I've had a leadership coach, too, for many, many years because I want to get better. I want to grow. I need somebody who is going to be outside of my normal traffic patterns, who is going to ask me questions that maybe nobody else in my world is going to ask me and who's going to help me to see things that I'm just never going to see because I'm in the weeds of it. That's the value and the power of a coach to ask you the right questions to help you get to the right answers. When somebody says they don't need that, my first question is, really? You don't need that. You don't need an outside perspective to help you grow and to identify your blind spots. You don't need somebody to, to ask you the right questions so that you can leapfrog over so many of the obstacles and challenges that are in your way today, the limiting beliefs that are holding you back from where you could be. You don't need that, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that's one of the challenges. I, I have a leadership coach, same one for 13 years, and she constantly asks me questions that make me think. Yes. And so one correlation that people really ignore, um, and I think of the the 
quote from Richard Rohr, Franciscan mm -hmm. writer. Yeah. He says how we do anything is how we do everything. Yes. So yes. talk about our personal life and how does that affect our professional life, our leadership? You know, there's this idea that I believe we inherited from the ancient Greeks, this idea that you can compartmentalize your life. And what happens in this part of your life over here doesn't affect what happens in this part over here or this part over here. That's a cute myth, but it's just that. It's not true. Uh, at Thanksgiving, we have these plates that have the little dividers on the plate so that your food doesn't touch each other. I like those because I like my food not to touch. I'm one of those people. Uh, I think I know what happens when it gets down to your stomach. I know all that. But up here in my mouth, I want to savor each taste as God intended we think our lives are like that. We think we have these little walls that are going to separate and, and not allow what happens at home to affect what happens at work and vice versa. And that's just not true. The fact is we are created as integrated beings with every part touching every other part. So does your personal life really impact your work? How could it not? Oh, my word. When I am, um, I work with corporate leaders and department heads and I've do a coaching cleaning because they don't know how to coach the people in their midst. Then I go back for an evaluation later and they say, you know, this listening thing, because coaching is 90% listening, right? right. This, my wife liked that part. Oh, my customers like that part. You know, <laughs> I worked at my church. So it's, it's universal. If, if yeah. we're better, we're better everywhere. So right. talk about evaluations a little bit. We, um, I, I, is the acronym for SMART goals, but there's also SMARTER where you evaluate and revise. So why are evaluations important? You know, there's this, there's this idea that experience makes you better, you, and this idea that the more you do something, the better you get. And I think that is not true at all. I don't think experience makes you any better. I think evaluated experience makes you better. Hmm. And that's why evaluation matters so much. You look at somebody and you say, oh, they've got 12 years of experience doing this thing. Well, if they've been doing it wrong for 12 years, that's not a good thing. That 12 years then means nothing. Or if they got experience doing their first year and learning and growing, and then they stop learning and growing, then they really got one year's experience just repeated 11 more times. Evaluation is how we get better. It's how we grow. That's how we improve our skills. Without evaluation, how do you know if you're getting better? How do you know if you're getting better at the right things? How do you know if anything that you adjust or tweak or change is the right thing to adjust or tweak or change? How do you know without evaluation? That's why it's so important. Is that a place that your coach helps you with evaluating? Absolutely. Absolutely. But by the questions that they ask, mm -hmm. they will help you to evaluate the right things. Because so often when we do just a, a drive-by evaluation, we're evaluating the things that are easiest to measure. That's not necessarily the right things to measure. That's just the easiest things to measure. In church world, you've heard, I'm sure, nickels and noses. Those are easy to measure, right? How much was the offering? How many people were there in the room? Nickels and noses. Is that the right thing to measure? I would argue no. I would argue the right thing to measure is growth. Are people taking their next steps? Do you see people moving from where they are closer and closer to Jesus? These are the things that we can measure if we choose to do so. But too often, we'll just stick with what's easy. We're evaluating the wrong things. 
That's right. Oh, that's, I'm just laughing because that's just so spot on, you know, and, you know, I'm guilty, but I'm like you, I'm, I'm a student of leadership. And as a keynote speaker, people would introduce me as an expert in leadership. And I go, no, 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 I'm a student of leadership. But, you know, I decided when I got to be 76, I'd made all the mistakes. So that made me an expert. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You don't repeat the same ones. If you, if you yeah. Those are learning opportunities. So how do you embrace that and getting up one more time and you fall down? Just, uh, I'm spot on. Just, you're just, we're, we're so aligned. We just met and we're so, so aligned here. You know, the, the real truth of the important things is consistent. Um, and we're in we're in um, contentious times, and there's a lot of anxiety in the culture. Now, my wife and I read the the daily lectionary, and you know, it's history, but it's also current events. That's it's right. so, like in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new in the uh, you know nothing new in, in the world. So there's there's the patterns that we fall into, but we can change. So. Mm -hmm. Transformation happens first in our spirit. That's right. Um, so, you know, Paul said, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. So right. that's that's a good word that I always, renewing is, is King James, and it's one that uh, mm -hmm. is constant. So talk about change and, and um, never stop leading change. Now, we know that those good people come to church don't want anything to change. <laughs> so change is kind of a contentious word. Is is there another word? Things are going to change. And probably the only thing that doesn't change is that things change. <laughs> That's right. So how do you, how do you embrace it? Cause there's, there's a healthy, um, you know, rotation of people in, in a church is a healthy new thing. So we don't need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. So why is change important? You know, I think one of a, one of a leader's greatest skills that they can work on developing is leading change appropriately. You're exactly right. It's things are always going to change. Change is a constant. When people will ask me at the church where I've been for almost 19 years, do we have to change anything else? Can we just like stop changing things? The only constant is change is what I usually tell them. That's that's what you can rely on. And the reason is because I'm always asking certain questions as part of my evaluation and our team's evaluation. What went right? right? What can we celebrate together? What went wrong? What didn't go well? What didn't go as planned? And how do we make it better next time? You know what that third question means? It means we need to change something. You're not going to get any better. You're not going to improve without change. People say that uh, there's, there's this idea that people don't like change. I don't think that's true at all. People don't like change that's not their idea. That's true, right? When you go buy a new cell phone, you typically like that because it was your idea. When you go buy a new car, typically you like that new car because it was your idea. People don't like change that's not their idea. That's where a leader steps in and helps them understand, hey, you know what? this is going to make it better. And let me help you see why. Absolutely. People in companies don't like change until I say, that means you don't want to change your salary to raise it, right? Right. Exactly. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Some changes are good. <laughs> That's right. It's, and, and, you know, um, you've done this, I'm sure, uh, facilitate a conversation where people think it was their idea. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's engaged people in creative thinking and possibility thinking. 
my goal is to help people understand why change matters and why change is a constant and is a part of all of our lives and why that's a good thing. I don't want them to see change as the monster, the enemy. Now, change is not inherently evil. Change can be great. Jesus brought change, a whole lot of change. People didn't like that. People pushed back on that. Well, did everybody? Or just the ones who were invested in keeping things like it was? Mm -hmm. Wow, wow. So one of the things is new people come in. Uh -huh. And so as leaders, we're going to try to fit them in to somewhere in a team, especially in volunteer communities like local charities or churches or other synagogues, religious communities or associations. So how do we fit people into it? How do we know somebody's a right fit for what you want them to do? Is it what they're good at? Or maybe what they want to do is good at it. So how do we, how do we find a fit for people in within the culture? No, I always start with where they are. I want to understand their wiring. I want to understand how they are gifted, right? If they're a follower of Jesus, they've gotten at least one spiritual gift, most often two or three. I want to understand how they're gifted. I want to understand what their passion areas are. I want to understand what their skills and talents are. And where those three things intersect, that's what their sweet spot is, right? That's where you want to find a place where they're going to be able to leverage their gifts, their passions, and their skills in such a way that they're going to move the ball up the field for the kingdom. So that's where I start. I start understanding and discovering their wiring. Once I understand that, then we're going to try several different areas, several different opportunities for them to leverage that sweet spot in different ministry areas. But it starts with them. It starts understanding how God has designed and wired them. Then we're going to try to find out where they fit. So the wiring, how does that affect our leadership, our wiring? Well, every leader has a wiring too. And so often when we start out in leadership, uh, if anybody is like me, and your listeners are like me, and I imagine most of them are, uh, then at the beginning of our journey, we just start copying other leaders that either we have served under, worked for, or that we admire from afar. And we just copy them. And I've even seen people copy leaders the way they dress, right? Even going to that level, the way they talk. It's understandable at first, because when you're early in your leadership journey, that's normal. The problem is when you stay there. Then over time, you just, you just end up becoming a bad copy of a great leader. What I want leaders to understand is if you understand how you are wired, how you are designed, then you can lead from that place and be authentic in your own leadership. God already has one of them, whatever leader you're trying to be like. He created one of you. Let's have you lead from who you are designed to be. And that's why understanding your wiring is so important, but it doesn't stop there. Now, once you understand your wiring, you need to understand the wiring of your direct reports so that you can help them lean into their wiring. So you can help them lean into their strengths, their gifts, their passions, their talents, and leverage those for the benefit of the team, of the organization. You talked about going to um, workshops as a young and, and learning from, from good leaders. Um, Talking about authenticity, I, I one time I served a church for 20 years in St. Pete, Florida. So that's a long time. And you have to continue to push the bar because people want to drift into mediocrity. I'm going to ask you that next. But 
I come back from a workshop and it was really pumped and I went in the choir and I did all these things and somebody said, Hugh, I said, what? Don't go away anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> it wasn't me being authentic to me. And they they called me on it. Yeah. It sometimes people won't do that though. They'll just ignore you and say, Well, it'll go away. It'll go, it'll away. go away. That's right. It'll pass. <laughs> yeah. And and so mediocrity, you know, we we establish a system and people, especially when I would first go to a new a new church, you know, mm -hmm. build a choir and they we could do stuff and stuff I'd always done, it was new to them. And it was mm -hmm. this is great. So there's this tendency for status quo, which is mm -hmm. back to lazy mediocrity how do you keep the bar going where we're always enthusiastic the short answer to that question is evaluation <laughs> because you're constantly evaluating and asking yourself how do i make it better uh, i will say that when it comes to mediocrity that comes from a drift you know when we when we move into a new role or a new church or a new company or a new team we're on a learning curve at the beginning right there's a lot of things we're learning we're learning people we're learning processes and systems and policies and how things work here. And that's a learning curve for us. And so we're forced to put on that that learning posture and and stay in that spot. Over time though, you get comfortable and you get used to how things work and you get used to your job and it might have been a little harder at first, but now you're kind of settling in and getting used to it. And you start to drift. And what I've learned is that no one drifts into excellence. We always drift into mediocrity. Mediocrity inspires no one. Excellence, I believe, honors God and inspires people. Mediocrity inspires nobody. So how do you avoid that? You avoid it with evaluation. So Consistently, regularly asking, how do we make it better? I commend you for that. It's, you know, I hear people say, oh, we've got a strategic plan. We're done with that one. We need a new one. Wait a minute. If you have a long-term plan, you evaluate it. And you migrate it over time. So you're yep. always revising and evaluating, revising. So let's just clarify evaluation. This I've often said the two most dysfunctional things in the church or any any group actually mm -hmm. is the search committee and the annual evaluation, employee evaluation. <laughs> you know, we get all uptight about stuff. We're going to be criticized, but we're talking about systems performance evaluations globally and we can do this with groups and you talked about the different segments and so as a facilitator we look at everything that's going well you know things we want to be sure to keep because sometimes people want to change they want to throw out everything wait a minute wait a minute so we celebrate the good and we're keeping and then there's things that we want to change or stop mm -hmm. now, maybe we're doing too many things we need to fine-tune and then the third channel for me is New things to consider. You had a different one there, but it was, you know, let's move ahead. How can we be better? So yeah. those are those basically the three buckets that we want to look at? Yeah. You know, when we do evaluation, like organizationally on a global scale, what we do is we actually use an end curve, right? And you take that end curve and you plot it into four quadrants. Oh, yeah. And so you've got this quadrant, which is going to be accelerating. These are things that are starting to gain momentum and traction. This is going great. The next quadrant is booming. This is where you want to live, right? This is when something is really getting the results that you're after. But then after you cross the top of the end curve, now you're into the decelerating quadrant. And this is these things are starting to lose their steam a little bit. And we can see that and we can measure that. Oh. And the last quadrant is if you don't address what's decelerating, eventually it moves down to tanking. <laughs> now, what we do is we plot everything we do on that end curve so that that informs our budgeting, 
that informs our updates to our strategic plan, that updates our weekly tactical meetings. What needs more gas? What do we need to try to move from decelerating over to accelerating? What do we need to stop doing? That's tanking. If it's tanking, it's done. Let's just call it time of death, right? And if it's booming, maybe we need to add a little more fuel to that. Maybe we need to add resources or, or staffing or, or more volunteers or something to that area to help it continue to boom. But you have to evaluate that. Wow. 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 That's that's really that's really good. How can people find you? Uh, you can connect with me on on LinkedIn is usually the way that I, that's where I'm most active. Uh, just look for William Attaway on LinkedIn. My website is catalyticleadership.net. Uh, you can connect with me there. Uh, I would love to, to connect with your listeners and help them take the next steps in their leadership journey. I also have a podcast, Catalytic Leadership, uh, that I titled after my most recent book by that name. And your book is is on your catalyticleadership.net site? It is also on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Catalytic leadership. Yes, exactly. So, you know, folks, I've been doing this 76 years. I'm that I haven't been doing it that many years, but probably 50 plus, And I learned some good stuff today that that evaluation piece is so valuable. So if we think we've learned it all, come on, there's more to learn. So each level, the, the higher you go and the longer you serve, the more important it is to constantly work on your skills. And you've given me some really good stuff. So you you talked about your daughter having a cancer diagnosis. How did this impact your leadership in your life and your faith? You know, Hugh, that was, that was four years ago now, four years ago this month, actually. Uh, this week, I was in a hospital room with my daughter. She had been having some headaches, and uh, we didn't understand what that was. We thought maybe she was developing migraines like I have. I started developing about the age that she was. She was 14 at the time. And it turns out they did some more tests, more scans over the coming weeks. And it turns out there was a brain tumor on the back right side of her brain. Uh, and they took it out. Uh, and that was great, great, wonderful work by the surgeon and the team there. Um, turns out with the biopsy, it was a very rare form of cancer. Uh, only about 50 teenagers a year in the world are diagnosed with it. And so that started a journey for us with, uh, you know, with radiation and treatment and all the things that, that you do. I'll tell you, during that season... I was not focused on the quarter's KPIs. I was not focused on that metric of evaluation. I was not focused on, hey, how are things going at the office? I was focused on what matters most, which is the relationships that are closest to you. And here's the here's the thing that I walked away from that season with. I've, I've taught this so many times, and I, and I hope your listeners can, can hear and resonate with this. One day, somebody else is going to sit in the seat you sit in at work. One day, somebody else is going to have the title that you have. Somebody else is going to do what you do. Then what? I've spent a lot of time with people at the end of their lives, and I have never once heard anyone say, I wish I had spent more time at the office. I wish I had achieved just one more quarter's goals. I wish I had hit that next level at work. You know what they say in those moments? They express regrets, and those regrets are around relationships with those closest to them. The conversation they never had, the time they didn't spend, they express those regrets. We get to learn from that, Hugh. We get to learn from that. And as leaders, we get to influence other people as we learn that. That the relationships of the, with those closest to us, those matter most. And one day when somebody else is sitting in the chair that we sit in today, 
where are those relationships going to be? That is a perfect place to end this really helpful interview. So William Attaway, um, Catalytic, what is the website? A catalyticleadership.net. Catalyticleadership.net. It'll be on the page. You can find it at the nonprofitexchange.org. The nonprofitexchange.org. And you can find it with his book and other stuff. It'll be on the the, the podcast. If you get it on your phone, uh, it'll be on the website that you go to the nonprofitexchange.org. So of all the things that people heard, what do you want people to do as a result of today's interview? You know, the one thing I would love for your listeners to walk away with is what I call the one non-negotiable of catalytic leadership, which is a teachable spirit. To intentionally cultivate a teachable spirit costs you zero dollars. It's free. But it's a choice. It's a decision you have to make every single day. Will I be the most teachable person in every meeting, in every conversation, in every circumstance and situation I'm in? Will I make that choice? Understanding that I can learn from anybody, even if it's what not to do, that can be incredibly helpful. That's a challenge that I would place in front of every one of your listeners. Choose to cultivate intentionally a teachable spirit. Teachable spirit. William Attaway, you've encouraged me to do that today. Thank you for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. You thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor to be here. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.